You are listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere, to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. Let me ask you a quick question. Are you happy today? Are you happy? I mean, can we... uh, let me ask you some questions about like what, like what makes you happy. So let's start with your house. Which of these would describe what would make you happy? A quiet house, a clean house, a packed house full of life and energy, or I'm finally out of the dog house. All right, so how many clean house people? How many quiet house people? How many love the party in the house? How many, thank God, I'm out of the dog house? You know what? All right, how about another one? What makes you happy? How about this? Hot tea, hot coffee, hot cocoa, or a hot dog? All right, so let's just start with the manly answer. How many of the hot dog guys are out there? How many, how many like a nice hot tea? Yeah, very good. How about the third, final one here? What makes you happy? How about this one? Payday? Vacation day? A productive day? Or Sunday. Woo! Let me ask. Can I? Yeah, all of the above. If we could just wrap those all up into one big day, that'd be awesome. All right, now don't leave the church when I say this. Don't walk away. Your pastor likes to be happy. In fact, if I just sit and really contemplate this for a while, and I have, I've been waiting to preach this sermon for about three months. I do a lot to make sure I'm happy. I like certain blends of coffee, and I like to brew it my way. I like to sit in my chair in the morning. I like my English Standard Version Bible. I like a little pen and my cup of coffee. And that's, I'm happy. Because that's what you need to be happy. Coffee, a pen, a Bible, and coffee. Um, Those four things. I like my day to go the way I want it to go. I like my mornings quiet and a little bit undisturbed. I like to study and think, pray write and plan. I like my afternoons with people. I love when I have a good lunch appointment with one of you, one of our leaders. I come home at the end of a day like that, and I'm happy. But every once in a while, things happen that are beyond my control. Some are annoyances, right? Busy traffic, uh, little things that don't go right, interruptions. And I can kind of navigate through those. And Sometimes big things happen, car accidents, major bills. And it upsets the apple cart. If I were honest with you, I spend a lot of my time and effort trying to make sure I have a happy life. And I want the happenings and the events of my life to work out a certain way. And some of those things, many of those things are good. I know if I have a certain kind of behavior toward my spouse, my life is happy. Because a happy wife is a happy... So I learn to construct certain ways of behavior because it results in my happiness. 
I know that when I spend quality time with Jesus in the morning, I have a better day. So not all of it is bad. In fact, a lot of my life's pursuit of being happy is good. And it's the right stuff. And I'm an American. You're an American. We deserve to be happy. It's like enshrined in our Declaration of Independence, isn't it? It's built into the code of our culture that we have the right to pursue what? In fact, if you were honest with yourself, you do a lot and expend a lot of energy and effort to pursue what makes you happy. And we all do that. In fact, for many of us, for much of our culture, happiness is kind of the bottom line. I mean, people sit in front of a divorce lawyer and the lawyer says, so why are you here? And they say, I'm just not. Is your marriage happy? Is your family happy? Am I happy with my job? Am I happy with my life? If we were honest, most of us have as a bottom line, are you happy? Now you tell me, with all of our efforts and all of our nation's struggle and determination to be happy, are we? Is our culture a happy culture? Is our social ethos a happy one? You would think with all of our energy and effort, all of the luxury we enjoy, all the financial blessing we have um, amassed, that we would be happy because that's what we pursue. But are we? Not really. So what if we're doing something wrong? What if... This God, we say, has given us this unalienable right to the pursuit of happiness. Hasn't just put humanity on a rat wheel to spin forever, exhausting ourselves to pursue happiness and never getting there. What if that God, that creator, what if Jesus knows something about happiness that you and I often miss? It's not even on our radar screen. What does Jesus say? about being happy. In Jesus' ministry-defining sermon in the book of Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector. He was analytical. He was detailed. He was a note-taker. He's probably a little OCD. Matthew listened to the words of Jesus, journaled the words of Jesus, And after Jesus' death and resurrection, he wrote his gospel, the good news of the narrative of Jesus' life. Matthew contains Jesus' kind of missional, defining sermon. We call it the Sermon on the... Jesus totally blows up our understanding of a happy life. And everything he says has rocked my world. And it's going to rock ours. Because Jesus doesn't make any sense. It doesn't add up. But what if Jesus knows a different kind of math to arrive at a blessed life, a happy life, a full life, that you and I 
don't understand, don't know how to do, and desperately need to learn it. Jesus said this in those first 10 verses. Seeing the crowds, verse 1 of Matthew chapter 5. I told you I wouldn't skip any slides. I just missed three or four. So, Matthew 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the... What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? That word means to be stretched out, to be lengthened, to be made broad, like pull it all the way and fill it up, like stuff it full, to be blessed, to be filled with good things, to overflowing, to have it all, to be stretched to the maximum. The Amplified Bible puts it this way, to be spiritually prosperous, happy, and admired. In Barclay's translation, he simply says, oh, the bliss. This is the blessed life. Oh, the blissful life of those who. J.B. Phillips, in his translation, just uses the word happy. Happy are the people. This concept of stretched out, filled up to the max, got all the good that I can get, the blessed life, the happy life. That's where Jesus goes. Blessed are the poor. That doesn't make sense. You don't drive through the poorest of neighborhoods and say, wow, these people are really blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. You don't walk into a funeral room, a funeral home, walk by those on the front row holding a box of Kleenex and say, oh my, aren't they blessed today? Don't they have the happy life? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. They're not blessed. The meek are the ones who have tread marks on their forehead as other people climb up the ladder of success on them. They're the ones that get stepped on. They're the ones who get walked on. How are they blessed? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. I don't know about you, but I feel blessed as I'm eating Thanksgiving. And I'm just enjoying, oh, this is blessing. I don't feel that when I haven't had food for a day or two. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are hungry. Blessed are the merciful. They're the ones that get taken advantage of. Blessed are the pure in heart. They're so naive. Blessed are the peacemakers. They always lose because they're constantly making other people happy. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Really? What if Jesus knows something about blessing and the happy life that you and I don't get? Because nothing that he just said makes any sense. And yet Jesus said, Oh, the bliss of those who are. What if... And here's the question we'll be asking over the next six weeks. And this is, I'm backing up on the slides, guys, so try to follow me. What if my happiness and your happiness is less about engineering all the events around your life. And it's more about God re-engineering what's internal. What if Jesus knows that we go about making 
ourselves happy, pursuing happiness by arranging all of this when Jesus said it's not about that. It's about something here. What if Jesus knows there's a problem with happy? Not, not, tr- work with me here. I'm going I'm to stretch your minds just a bit. What if Jesus knows there's a problem with happy? Not the happy state of mind, not a happy life, but the word happy, the term happy. There's a reason our Bible translators, when they translate this into English, don't use the word happy. Phillips is the only one who translated it that way. It works to use happy, but in English, happy carries with it some things that have problems. What if Jesus knows that there's a problem with happy? What does happy mean? What's the root of happy? When you say, I'm happy, what are you saying? What's the root of happy? Hap. Can you think of another word that starts with hap? Like happenings or happenstance. When you say I'm happy, you're saying the happenings are good. My marriage is happy because my wife and I are having good circumstances, good happenings in our life. When you say my jo- I'm happy at work, that means my work world Good happenings are there. Therefore, I am happy. What if Jesus knows that happiness isn't about happenings, but it's about habits? There are some internal habits that Jesus wants to form in my life and your life that lead to the blessed life, what happiness really is. Are you tracking with me? What if when we say, are you happy? It really isn't about happenstance. Jesus knows it's something different, deeper. So are you happy? Let's start at the beginning. We're going to work through all of these over the next six weeks. Blessed, Jesus says. Happy. Oh, the blissful life of those who are poor in spirit. Let's unpack that a little bit. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor, he could have used one of two words that both are translated poor. Very common Greek, Koine Greek language. He could have picked one of two words. One, a poverty that means you're out of work. You're looking for income. You're living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you're barely making ends meet. Or maybe you can't make ends meet and you're looking for a new job. You're just desperate. You're poor. You're without the income you need. There's a second word that means destitute beyond hope. Like completely, utterly without any wealth, any opportunity. You don't even have the hope of an income. In fact, the root of this second word means to bow or to cower. It means to beg. You are so destitute, so utterly broke, you have no option but to beg. That's the word Jesus used. Not blessed are those who can barely make ends meet. Blessed are those that are utterly, totally, completely destitute. Blessed are the destitute in what? See, it would make more sense if Jesus said money, right? Blessed are the poor that don't have money because God will eventually bless them, and we could wrap our minds around that. But Jesus pulls the rug out from under us. Blessed are those who are poor in what? That's wrong. I want to be full of spirit, don't you? I want to be empowered by the spirit. I want to be one of the people that people say, wow, he's full of spirit. Isn't that better than being empty of spirit? 
I mean, when you're at the basketball game back in the 80s, and half the crowd said, we've got spirit, how about you? We've got, you know, we've got spirit, yes, we do, that's it. We got spirit, yes, we do, we got spirit, how about you? And you want to yell back, um, plumb out of it. We just stink. We've lost every game. We have no spirit, no hope. I'm just here for the popcorn and the cute girls. You don't want to be that guy. You want to be the team that says, yeah, we've got spirit. We're going to win because you've got spunk. You've got life. You've got spiritual vitality. As a church, we don't want to be empty of spirit. We want to be full of spirit. Why would Jesus say the blissful life, the happy life, are for those who are so destitute in spirit? That's weird. Then he gets even crazier. Blessed are the destitute in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is everything. That's what this is all about. Forget the hokey pokey. The kingdom of heaven is what it's all about. That's all of God's blessing. That's living a heavenly life on earth. And I want that. Don't you? The kingdom of heaven. That's all of it. It's like Jesus' opening salvo. The cannon just launched. This is the foundation of it all. Blessed are those that are destitute in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Really? And to make it the most extreme, I think the verses are printed in your bulletin on the back of your handout. If you just want to take a second and scan through all the Beatitudes, look at the first one, read the next six, look at the last one. Something is different about the first one and the last one. All of the middle, Jesus says in a certain pattern, but the first one and the last one are unique. Look at it. Think about it. What does Jesus say in 2 through 7? Blessed are those who blank, for they shall. It's future. It's forward-looking. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will eventually experience the comfort. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty, because they will eventually be filled. But this one and the last one, he doesn't do that. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And it would make more sense if he said, for they, theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Like they're poor of spirit now, they're empty, there's nothing there, they're destitute, no spiritual life in them. But they will eventually be blessed. And we would say, that's right, Jesus, that gives me hope. But he says, no, 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 no. When you are poor in spirit now, you are now in the kingdom of heaven. When you are completely empty, destitute, there is no spirit in you at all. Now you're living the happy life. That makes no sense. What on earth is Jesus talking about? What does Jesus know that I have trouble understanding? Because I come to Jesus and I say, I want to be full of your spirit. I want spiritual happenings going on in my life. I want the vitality of your spirit. I want to be full. And Jesus looks at me and says, well, you're missing it, dude. Be poor. Be destitute of it. Then you'll be blessed. This has rocked my world. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter Chapter 18, I believe. Yeah. Let's read this story. And we'll understand a little bit better what what, what Jesus is trying to tell Joel and trying to tell you. So Jesus tells this story. Luke begins this way. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness. And they were scorning everybody else. So Jesus has an audience 
He has people in that audience who have great confidence in all the spiritual happenings in their life. Did you get my language? They have confidence in all the spiritual happenings of their life. The right things are happening in my life. I am doing the right spiritual things. I have confidence. So he told the story to some who had confidence in their own righteous happenings, and they scored everyone else. They had engineered the right kind of life. Verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. So Jesus is telling this story. In Jesus' culture, the second temple period, there were two times people were invited to pray, morning and evening. So Jesus tells this story. One of these two times, maybe in the morning, maybe in the afternoon, twice a day a sacrifice was made at the temple. It was a sin sacrifice. The priests would offer a burnt sacrifice to God to forgive the people's sins. And when that sacrifice was given in the morning and in the evening, the public was invited to come to the temple to pray. And how fitting. Because it was at that moment, as the sacrifice for sin was slaughtered and offered to God, as the innocent died, as blood was shed, as innocent life was taken, the guilty lives came and said, God, thank you for forgiving me. Right? So twice a day, people were invited. So Jesus hearkens to that story. He says, two guys, while the sin offerings being offered, came to the temple to pray. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised, despised tax collector. Now, stop it, all of you. You just read that like an American. You just read that like you've been in church for a long time. Don't do that. Because, see, you all know the Pharisees are bad. But you're wrong. You're wrong. When Jesus' audience heard this, the Pharisee wasn't bad. The Pharisee was the hero. The Pharisee was the best. They were righteous. They did all the right things. They went to the right schools. They were the smartest. They were the brightest. They were the blessed ones. To become a Pharisee meant that as a young boy, probably by the age of 10, you were chosen because of your intellect and your discipline, and you were brought under another Pharisee. You memorized the entire Torah. You understood God's commands. You would become a teacher and a role model for the people. The Pharisee is revered. So can you, don't read this like an American Christian. They're hearing this and they're thinking, wow, hero and tax collector hated. Hero and hated. Tax collector was a traitor at best, a thief at worst, despised, hated by the culture. One commentator put it this way. Two men went to the temple to pray. The Pope and the pimp. That is the exact response Jesus would have gotten when he told this story. Two people went to the temple to pray, the deacon and the drug dealer. That's what Jesus is saying. The one whose happenings are all spiritually right and good. And one who is an absolute train wreck of a life that's despised and hated. Two guys went to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood by himself. Prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters and sinners and adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector in the back. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. I sponsor kids to royal family. Thank God I don't live like that guy or that guy or that person a cubicle down from me at State Farm. The tax collector stood at a distance 
He didn't even lift up his head. He just prayed. He beat his chest in sorrow. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I tell you, so Jesus now wraps up the story. The Pope and the pimp. I tell you, the pimp, not the Pope, returned home right before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, when I read that, maybe you have the same response I do. Like, thank God I'm not that Pharisee. But then I realize I just said what the Pharisee said. And I am. Can I be so honest to say that's my normal response if I read that quickly? Oh, thank God I don't have that attitude. And that's exactly what the Pharisee said about the tax collector. Now I'm the Pharisee saying it about the Pharisee. Good Lord, help me. What's Jesus' point? What's Jesus? Jesus is not saying live your life like the tax collector. Go be a despised person. Go be a thief. Go do what is unrighteous and unholy. Nor is Jesus saying don't live like the Pharisee. The Pharisee didn't cheat, didn't steal, wasn't sleeping around. He tithed to the temple. All good things. Jesus didn't deal with any of the happenings in their life. He dealt with the habit of their heart. And he saw something and he wanted us to see it. That blessed are the poor in spirit. The happy life with God is when you recognize how utterly, totally, completely destitute you are before the Lord. And only then will you begin to experience a blessed life. The happy life, the blessed life, is not about all the happenings. And we often think of that by circumstances, life events. It's not about even the spiritual happenings that you've constructed around your life. And many of them are good and righteous and noble, but they're not worth diddly before God. You know, everything that I do, and many of them are good, and they make me more of a man after God's heart, and they're holy, and they're helpful, and they're loving and kind. I can lay them all before God, and they're just a pile of rubbish. It doesn't much matter to impress God. Can I tell you, you're, can, can, can I be so bold as to say, if you're honest, you recognize that you're just as big of a sinner as I am. Blessed are those who are so destitute in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. One person recognized the spiritual poverty. The other one looked at their spiritual happenings. The moment, get this, the moment I think too much of myself, I begin thinking too little of God and too little of other people. The moment I think too much of myself, I diminish others and I diminish God. When I live with, an, with a constant inner habit of acknowledging my deep spiritual lack, when I live 
when I live with the habit of acknowledging my own deep spiritual lack, then and only then am I free to fall fully in love and fully appreciate the work of God? And am I able to freely love other people no matter who they are or how they live or what they've done because they're exactly like me? The blessed life is when you realize you're really nothing. Because then God becomes everything and everybody else around you becomes just like you. And you're free to love your neighbor as because they are just like you. So let me ask you some questions. Are you poor in spirit? Have you become so enamored by your outward spiritual happenings that you think you've built a pretty happy life? You think all the good spiritual happenings, and please don't misunderstand, they are good, they are holy, they are honorable. I'm so thankful that God has helped you live a righteous life. They're good, but they're worth nothing. Nothing. Isaiah says, you, your righteousness is nothing but filthy rags before God. And dare I explain what that term filthy rags is in the Hebrew? Can I say that here? Will the church be offended? I mean, back in Chicago, I could have said it, but now I'm in central Illinois. We're a little more tentative here. It's gross. The Bible is saying all of our righteousness is like used feminine pads. That's exactly right. That's what it is in Hebrew. That's the term. So we Americans translate it filthy rags because it sounds a lot better. But that's how God views all the good things I do. They're nothing to him. He wants me to acknowledge how desperate I am for God because without him, I'm just, I'm nothing. And when that is the reality of the habits. I I stop looking at the happenings. They're all good, and I want to keep doing them. But the moment I said, God, make the habit of my heart, humbly acknowledging, as Pastor Kenny led us in song today, I need you more, more than yesterday. And when we sing that, and it isn't a fraud, and we really mean, I'm 46. I've been walking with Jesus for 40 years. I've got a lot of this down. In fact, a lot of obedience is just muscle memory. I need Jesus more now than I did when I was 13. And until that is seeped into our heart, the internal habit, we can't really live the blessed life because we're unable to love others and unable to love God fully. Have you caught yourself? Have you caught yourself looking down on the people around you that you think aren't living right before God? You look at their clothing. You read their bumper stickers. You listen to the language escaping their mouth. You hear about their voting record. And you think, oh, thank God I'm not like that. Careful. The kingdom of God just slipped through your fingers. When pride begins to whisper how good you are, you're walking away from the happy life with Jesus. Don't let your happenings fool you. You are as big a sinner as there is. Without God's unearned, undeserved mercy, 
without his unyielding grace and his life-changing favor and work. You and me and everybody, we're just the same. The blessed life, the happy life has less to do. And here's the key, all series, all the Beatitudes, the happy life, the blessed life is not about how you arrange the happenings around you. It's about the internal habit within your soul. And Jesus begins with the hardest one. Blessed are those who don't have any spirit. Really? Oh. Do you need to repent of your spiritual arrogance today? Do you need to just frankly say, God, I remember how spiritually poor I really am. I remember Jesus that you said, unless you're attached to the vine, you can do nothing. Without me, Jesus said, you can do no good thing. There is nothing good in any of us. No, not one, Romans says. Do you need to repent of your spiritual arrogance? Then and only then will God bring that happy life to fullness. Maybe there's a different question for you. Maybe you need to humbly approach the Lord today. Maybe you're less like that Pharisee that has all the happenings arranged in their life and they're feeling really good and blessed because I'm doing all of these things that are right. Maybe you're more like that tax collector that's in the back going, I'm so far from God, I don't know what I'm doing here. Can I tell you, just beat your chest and say, God, have mercy on me. And you'll walk out of here right with God. Just humble yourself today and say, just like Pastor Joel, I acknowledge I need God. I need his grace to forgive me. I need his lordship to lead my life. I I can't live righteously. I can't do this thing. If that's you, you need to respond today. In fact, we're going to do something a bit unique. I know we're a couple minutes long, but hang with me. We're going to pray together. Those that say, I need to repent of some spiritual arrogance. And those who say, I don't know Jesus. I just need to humbly come before him. I need to ask for his forgiveness. And I got to start with the Lord fresh. Because whether we're starting fresh, like that tax collector saying, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Or we found in ourselves a little bit of the Pharisee saying, I'm so glad the happenings in my life are better than that guy's. We're the same. The Pharisee and the tax collector are the same. The Pope and the pimp, same before God, desperately in need of Jesus. So can we together just say, I need the Lord? Can we lift a hand and say, I need to repent of some arrogance and I need to come before Jesus with humility? If that's you, just lift a hand. I need you more, more than yesterday. I need you more, more than words can say. I need you, Lord. And Jesus, we approach you today, Pharisee and tax collector, religious, irreligious, living with all the right happenings, living with none of the right happenings. And we come before you the same. Jesus, we are destitute in our spirit. We need you. Forgive us. May you fill us with your grace. 
May we live fully in you. Can we say amen? Now let me wrap up with a couple final thoughts. A happy church. A blessed church is a church that's poor in spirit. So how do we reconcile together empowered by God's spirit and living full of his spirit and life and acknowledging how spiritually destitute we are? Is it possible for a group of believers, a community of faith to hold to both? Full of God's spirit and his grace and life, pursuing the fullness of God's work in our life and at the same time acknowledging it's not about us. We got nothing. See, when a church does that, it's blessed. When a church says, we're going to pursue everything with the Spirit's power, the Spirit's miraculous, the Spirit's healing, the Spirit's moving, the Spirit's work producing fruit in our life, and yet we also acknowledge that we are desperate sinners. Then, God is free to move in our midst and God is free to help us love those who aren't like us. We say we want to be and God's called us to be a diverse church. Can I tell you, it's more than skin color. It's spirit color. And there's no difference. Can I tell you, the person who walks in here, the furthest we think they're from God, like, look, can you believe that they're here? They're so far from living a holy life. They're so much like me, it's incredible. And the moment I recognize that, I am free to hug them, love them, pray with them, and say, Jesus has a plan. So understand what I'm saying. Blessed are the people that acknowledge their true state, that we are destitute in spirit. Blessed is the church that's destitute in spirit. Because theirs the kingdom of heaven there. And that's what we want. We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1-A-G-B-N to download the app. Remember, God created you to make a difference. So go and make a difference.